Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. On the night that Jesus Christ was arrested, all of his followers ran away and abandoned him and two of his closest friends gave him up. Judas did it for money, Peter did it from fear. Both of them failed, but what they did with their failure is what made all the difference. Judas could not look beyond his failure. He thought his failure was final and so he ended up taking his own life. Peter took responsibility. He learned from his failures, accepted God's mercy. We're in our year of mercy. And he became a leader, one of the most important leaders in the early church because it's not what you do, but what you do with mercy that matters. It's not what you do, it's what you do with mercy that really matters. And we've been studying Jonah. And I kind of got it finished, but then this week sort of links back to it in various ways. Because we've seen in the book of Jonah that God didn't want to keep his mercy to himself. And so he got this this guy called Jonah and began to speak to him. And he said, I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. You're a Jewish person. I want you to go where these non-Jewish people are and bring a message to them. But Jonah did not want to go. You'll know this if you've been studying it. Or if you're in one of the grow groups, we're going to carry on studying it for a while. Instead, because he was so full of nationalistic kind of religious pride, he went to a place called Joppa instead of going to Nineveh, and then he got on a boat that would take him in completely the opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. Now, surrounded by nations, civilizations that worship many gods, God chose this group of people called Israel, and he set them apart to be a nation that would shine as a, in a blessed way, that they would be blessed to be a blessing and that they would shine as a light to all of the nations. God didn't choose them because they were special. They were special because he chose them. He set them apart in that way. And even, um, the, the, even, even though that was the case, they, they kind of took it as if it was something that made them special and they wanted to keep it to themselves over time. That's what certainly was the case with Jonah. He didn't want to go to Nineveh and have those foreigners find God's mercy. And 700 years later on, Peter, who we're going to be looking at today, was cut very much from the same cloth. Of course, he caught fish rather than being caught by one, but uh, he was so proud of his Jewishness that throughout his life this was a problem and something of a struggle. We can read about it for him that he didn't really want anything to do with Gentiles. The word Gentiles is it's a word which basically covers everybody who is not Jewish. The way it worked in that day was if a Jewish person travelled outside Israel and then came back, they were not to let the foreign dust spoil the soil of Israel and say so we'd have to literally shake the dust off their feet. If Gentile hands had touched um, a cow's udder while it was being milked, the milk from, from that cow could not be consumed by Jews. Cooking utensils that were bought from a Gentile had to be purified, purified by fire and water. If a Gentile came into a Jewish home, they defiled all the food in the house just by coming into it. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And he wants that nobody should perish but everybody come to know him and have everlasting life. So, so how would 
they, and when I say they, I mean we, how would we get to know if what had happened is that Israel was still a nation of Jonah's, surrounded as they saw it by a world full of Nineveh's that they didn't want to go to. God would have to do something. God would have to break them and shake them in order to be able to take them out to do his purposes. And I believe God is, did that. He did it with Jonah. We're going to see how he did it with Peter. And it's something that he's doing with the church now. He's even doing it with us here at Ivy. We love our comfort zones, but God wants to keep breaking us out of them. And we see this so clearly in Peter's life because Peter was, was somebody who had been forgiven much. And that was the key. Jesus said those who've been forgiven much will love much. That's what we're going to see in the end, qualified Peter. Not because he never got it wrong, but because of what he did afterwards. Not because he had it all together, but because he was so broken, God could use him. And Peter went wrong so many times, and he went wrong the same ways that you and I do. We can learn from his mistakes rather than repeat them all and make them ourselves. When, why don't you make a note somewhere, write this down, and it could help you and stop you from making the same kind of mistakes over and over again. Because the fact is, whether it's in faith or finance, whether it's in your personal life and relationships, or whether it's in business, we need to know why we fail. And really, there's always, I've noted down three reasons why we fail. And we can see these really clearly in Peter's story. The first one, make a note of this, we fail because we overestimate our strengths. We're, we're proud of ourselves. We think, I can handle this. Even if we can't see it very well in ourselves, we can see this really clearly in Peter's life. You see it clearly on the night that he betrayed Jesus. Um, at the Last Supper, soon we're going to be having communion together, which always reminds us of the Last Supper. Matthew 26 says this, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. But after I've risen... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus already has an appointment in mind post-resurrection. You see, Jesus knew all of this was going to happen beforehand. This is why, by the way, God's never disillusioned with us when we get it wrong and when we mess up. He was under no illusion in the first place. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. What's he doing? He's overestimating his strength. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. They all overestimated their strength. We say, and we do it too, don't we? We say, I'd never do this. And then we do it. We, we even judge other people. We say, I'd never do that. And then we feel terrible because we do that or we do something very similar. And we fall even though we don't think we will. Pride comes before a fall. You know that straight out of the Bible, that proverb? It's in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. See, what our problem is, we may guard our weaknesses, but often we're wide open in, in, in where we think that we're strong. This is why battles have been lost throughout history. They built the Great Wall of China and they thought they were safe behind it. They considered it impregnable. But you know what happened? At least three times, somebody just came along and bribed a guard and then an, an, an army came right through, through the gates of the wall. This is why marriages fall apart. This is so often why businesses fail. We never thought it would happen to us people say. It's why we fall to temptation. It's we overestimate our strengths. Number two, ready? We fail because we overvalue the approval 
of other people. There's a famous psychological study from the 50s called the Ash Conformity Test. You can look it up. They've got these people in. They told them they were doing a vision test, but it wasn't really. It was all about how much people conform. And uh, what they did, they got these lines at one point on it, and they had these three different lines, A, B, and C, and they looked at them, and one was obviously the same size as this other one. And then they said, which lines are the same size? And they had seven people all lined up, and one at the end was the one they were studying. They didn't know that the other seven were all actors. So, say for example, it was the, 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 the line had, was B was the correct answer. So it's obvious, it looked like B. The three lines, you had one that was small, one that was very big, and then you've got B. Anyway, everybody knew what the, what the right answer was. It was obvious when you looked at it, except all seven said A. Everybody's saying it, and then you're the last one. What did people do? Well, it turned out when they did this, 75% of people gave the wrong answer, even though they knew it was the wrong answer, because everybody else was saying the same thing. Peter wanted it to sound like he wasn't afraid of anything. But Jesus had predicted that in a few hours you're going to deny me. And the reason he did it was because of fear of what other people would say or what other people would think. Fearing what other people think causes huge problems for all of us. I'm sure that's exactly what Jonah had in mind. When God said Nineveh, he thought, I'm an important prophet here in Israel. I speak before the king. What are people going to say? What's my mum going to think if I end up going off to Nineveh where all those people are? See, here's another one from Proverbs. Fear of man will bring a snare. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, if you're taking notes. When you become a people pleaser, you line yourself up for all kinds of problems because you know what you find out? People are never pleased. Just as you got this lot happy, there's a bunch of people over here who are really unhappy. You're bound to fail by pleasing people. Even God can't do it. He can't please everybody. Why do we think that we can? When we hate criticism... Fearing disapproval becomes a trap that we fall into. You go with the flow, even though you know that the flow is going the wrong way. To please people that really, if you were honest about it, you're not even sure you like, you end up becoming a coward. You fail to do what God is saying because of what other people are saying. And it says by now, if you follow the story, Peter was following Jesus at a distance. That's always dangerous. But then it says this, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. He denied it before them all. My pages are stuck together. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a cock crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. See, Peter's been with Jesus for over three years. He's been like one of his closest friends. He's seen him do miracles. He's been part of, you know, he broke bread and, and, and fish and 
5,000 men were fed, multiplying all that food in front of thousands of people. He even walked on water himself when Jesus called him. He knew that who Jesus was. Peter was the very first to say, when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? It was Peter who said, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But now because of the crowd, because of that peer pressure, because he overvalues what people might say or think, he says, no, never heard of him. Don't know the guy. Now let's not pretend before we point the finger that we've never had this kind of failure too. If you say you're a Christian, how many times have we had the opportunity at work or, or in some family setting perhaps? We didn't speak up, we clammed up because we cared too much about what other people thought and didn't care enough about what God had said. We overestimate our own strength, that's problem number one. Number two, we overvalue the approval of other, of other people. And number three, if you're making notes, write this down, we fail because we overtalk and underlisten. This is my big one I'm admitting to. We, we open our mouths, we put our mouths in, in motion before we, before we put our mind in gear. We don't listen to God. We don't pause. We don't consider even the impact of our words. We think, I've got every right to be able to speak out whatever it is that I think. But is it wise to be able to do that? How often does it lead us to fail? How end up we end up having to eat our words? What, see, what if, I thought about this, what if when, when Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me, what if he'd said, Lord, I don't want that to happen? What if he'd humbled himself? What if he said, Lord, I know I mess up so often. I know my own track record. Help me. What can I do to avoid that happening? But Peter didn't do that. What did he do? He denied that it could ever happen. He said, I'm not going to do that. You know, even though there'd been that time in the past when, you know, just after he'd said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says something stupid and Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Peter was fully aware of how often he said the wrong thing. In fact, he said, the wrong thing, often in the wrong way and at the wrong time. And we do too because we're all imperfect people. R.T. Kendall, I love this, just read it recently. says, spiritual maturity is closing the gap between, it's closing the gap between God speaking and me obeying. I love that. It's simple, but it's not easy. See, what about that other time when Jesus revealed his brilliance his shining glory on the Mount of Transfiguration and it says Moses appeared with him there and Elijah was there with him too and then Peter comes and he's standing there and he says oh oh this is nice um shall we make should we put some tents up it's like you know should we get the pims out should we have should we have a little party up here and the Bible says Peter said this because he didn't know what to say I love that that's so me Maybe it's you too. How many times do we blow it because we say something because we don't know what to say? Rather than just shut up. The very next verse says this, then a voice came from a cloud, said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's like, hello, Peter, listen. And we can relate because we're imperfect people in an imperfect world. So what do you do with that? What do we do when we fail? Because we've seen how it is that we fail in these different ways. And we know it can be so painful. It can lead to being stuck in self-pity and hopelessness. Like Judas, who failed and thought that was it. He decided he was a failure because he'd failed. 
But you know what? Just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure unless you let it define you. Judas thought there's no way back. He thought his life was over. He, he quit as a result of that. But Peter was different. He, he didn't try and hide it. He didn't deny it. He says he wept bitterly over his sin, if you can remember that. I just bet from every now and then, for a, every time he heard a rooster from then on, he was like, somebody shoot that bird. He was so broken because he denied his friend and his Lord. But then rather than just seek to justify it, or deny it, or, or fix it himself, or promise from now on I'm never going to mess up the same way again. Rather than focus on his failure and throw his life away, Peter threw himself on the Lord's mercy, as we're going to see. See, we know that he found the mercy of God, because years later, there's two letters in the Bible that are written by Peter, funnily enough, called 1 Peter and 2 Peter, And the first thing that he starts writing about in 1 Peter is God's mercy. He says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter knew because Jesus died and rose again that he had a new life and a fresh start. He had new new mercy operating in his life. Had Peter messed up? Yes. Was he stuck there? No. He didn't stay and try and live in guilt and shame and condemnation. He had a future despite his failure. He knew he'd been born again by God's great mercy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It talks about the resurrection there. And on the first Easter, three women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body. And if you remember, an angel comes and meets them. Listen carefully to the message that he gives them. He says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they put him. Now, go. Tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. Do you remember he said that at the Last Supper? He'd already told them. And did you notice somebody else's name there? Peter. A special shout out of encouragement. So the guy who feels so low because he'd messed up so badly, because of his regret and his shame. Jesus still knows his name. Jesus still knows him and he wants to meet him. He's made this appointment with mercy for Peter. After a couple of weeks though, They've gone there, they've moved to Galilee, they've gone back up to where they came from. And Peter is, is so low, he's lower than ever. It's been the biggest failure of his life. And he decides, I'm going to do the one thing that I think I can still do, even though I've messed everything else up. He's a professional fisherman, so he says to the rest of the guys, I'm going to go fishing. Anybody else wants to come with me? And they pile aboard because they want to cheer him up. But they spend the whole night fishing and don't even catch a tiddler. Add another fail to the list. How do you imagine Peter feels now? But then it says in John 21, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you got any fish? No, they answered. At least they're honest, again, about the failure. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, when they did what what he said, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. It's a miracle. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, that's what John called himself all the time, which must have annoyed everybody else. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, you're Peter. What, how do you feel? What do you do when you've failed? Do you jump out the other side and try and swim away? How do you respond? This is the appointment 
that Jesus promised. Is Jesus now going to shame him? Is he going to tell everybody how badly Peter did? Guilt could keep you stuck in the boat. Guilt could make you jump overboard in the wrong direction. It's just for him brings back the memory of the failures. Except there's also, he's surrounded by the evidence of the mercy and grace of God. There's all this fish, so many fish. Jesus doing what he could never do again. Jesus doing what he did right at the start when he first called Peter. Evidence of mercy. So he jumps in like he always did. Peter did this. He's a jumping kind of guy. But now he's not, he's not running to more trouble. He's running to mercy. He's running to Jesus. And then he gets there and on the beach there's a coal fire. And again, that's going to be like flashback to the last time he stood in front of a coal fire. What did he do? Denied Jesus three times. He, and Jesus, though, it turns out, hasn't come to roast him. There's fish and bread already waiting. Think about that. We're going to again have communion soon. After saying he'd die for him, Peter abandoned Jesus, denied him, deserted him. Has Jesus come to make him pay? No. Has he come to make him feel bad? No. What's Jesus come to make him? Breakfast. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just what mercy does? After a bad night, he doesn't give him what he deserves. He gives him what he needs, kippers on toast. And Jesus is saying to him, like he says to us every day, it's a new day. And Lamentations, it says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Did you get your new mercies this morning from God? First, whatever happened yesterday, mercy is available for us today. And then Jesus takes Peter for a walk along the beach and he only asks one thing. He actually only wants to know one thing. Peter, do you love me? He doesn't ask him how he is. He doesn't ask him what he's done. He already knows what he's done. He knew it before it happened. He's come to restore him. And so he asks him three times, the only thing that matters, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's all that matters. Not did you fail me? Because everybody does. Do you love me? Because not everybody does. Do you love Jesus? Those who've been forgiven much will love much. If you don't figure you've been forgiven much, chances are you're not going to love very much. Not everybody loves Jesus. Some people have like a religious affiliation to him. But have you got that burning love? Have you got that first love on the inside of you? Check your heart. Some people hate Jesus. Some people deny he exists. Some people ignore him. Others know nothing about him and need somebody who says they know him to go and tell them about him. Peter loved Jesus. How do I know? I know because he always ran to him, not away from him. Even, in fact, especially when he'd made a mistake and messed up. By the way, you know Peter wasn't his real name, was it? Jesus gave it him as a nickname and it stuck. His real name was Simon, which means listen but he never did. Maybe that's why Jesus said, I'm going, to have to give you, I'm going to have to give you a new name. I'm going to have to give you a different name because you never listen. Sometimes he got it right. Like when Jesus, as I said, asked who people thought that he was or said that he was. Simon said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied, yeah, I tell you, you are Petros, which means little stone, pebble. And on this Petra, this big boulder, this huge rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell don't stand a chance against it. See, Jesus looked at this guy who he knew would mess up countless times and he said, I'm giving you the keys. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. He says, 
you're going to hold the keys to the future of the whole world because my church won't be built with perfect people. And I'm not building it on something big or strong or impressive about you. My church is going to be built on people who mess up, people who are broken, people who have faith despite their failures. So now the qualification is not, are you the perfect candidate? It's, do you love me? And Peter, in his stumbling, broken way, says it, yeah, three times. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. And every time he gets told, feed my sheep. Look after my lambs. You got the job because mercy can redeem anyone. Mercy can redeem everything. Fast forward a little bit before we're done into the book of Acts. I love this because after appearing and instructing Peter and many others, including large crowds, hundreds of people at one time, Jesus tells the disciples... Wait now in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then I want you to go into all the world. I want you to, to preach the gospel to all nations. But you start at Jerusalem, then you spread out across Judea, and then you go to Samaria and on to the ends of the earth. Now remember again who he's speaking to. They're all Jewish. They're all fine with Jerusalem and Judea. They're, they're happy with that. Go to Samaria is a bit of a stretch because they considered those people... Um, well, less than, they were like uh, uh, substandard half Jewish. But then he's saying about the ends of the earth, and that means going to Gentiles. We're back to the same problem that God had with Jonah when he said go to Nineveh. But he didn't want to go. And for the apostles, the whole world is Nineveh. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and people are, are, who are Jewish anyway become Christians Loads of them. They have a great successful church. It's growing. They even go to Judea a little bit. But then persecution comes. A, a guy called Philip goes to Samaria. Revival breaks out. But the apostles remain in Jerusalem just with their fellow Jews. How's the gospel ever going to go to reach the other nations? Who's going to go? All the people are locked out of God's mercy. Now remember what Peter told him about having the keys to the kingdom. Peter's meant to be the key. When you look at a key, what do you notice about a key? He has all these ups and downs on it, or else it's useless. Peter's meant to be the key. He's been shaped to fit by the ups and the downs, by the messes up. Or he had all these times when he was proud of his success, and then it came crashing down again. He's crushed by his failures and and God wants him to be ready to open the door but it's going to be a very tough key to turn because he has this religious nationalism he's got this idea about the unclean Gentiles Acts chapter 9 seven years on and Peter hasn't gone anywhere but he decides I'm going to take a little trip out around Judea so he goes to the coast he heals a paralyzed man then they hear about that so they invite him to a place called Joppa where there's a woman called Dorcas who's just died and she's very well much loved so he goes in and prays and, and a miracle happens and she's brought back to life of course everybody gets to hear about this so Peter stays in Joppa while he's there 30 miles north in Caesarea, an Italian soldier called Captain Cornelius is in charge of guarding the Roman government HQ. And he has a vision. Now, you need to know about Captain Cornelius that he's a good guy. He's got a seeking heart. God noticed his generosity, it says. Which reminds me again to say thank you to everybody who's given so far to the first fruits offering. See, God sees it. But thank you. 
Cornelius was technically what's called a God-fearer. That means he was a Gentile who had grown tired of all the immorality, the idolatry, the emptiness of, of Roman religion. And since coming to Israel and living there, he's investigating Yahweh. He's heard about this other God and he's interested. So he's a religious man. He's praying to Yahweh. He's a good man, but he's not a saved man because we need to be saved. You can be good and not saved. You can be religious and not saved. You can be kind and not saved. We see that by what happens next. Even though he's a soldier, Cornelius is terrified when an angel turns up at three in the afternoon and told him, Send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. He's not saved. If you're listening to this and you're a good person and you're a kind person and you're a religious person, that isn't what matters with God. We can only be saved. There's only one name that saves and it's by Jesus Christ. You can't be saved by being good or trying harder. Cornelius follows orders he acts in faith he sends some men to Joppa all he knows from the message is that there's a guy called Peter who holds the key next day at noon just before lunch Peter's hungry he, he goes up on the roof of the house to pray and suddenly he has this crazy vision especially for a Jewish person to have this it's like this trance that he goes into and a big sheet is lowered down and there's all these animals some of them are clean some of them are unclean and they're well you know the old testament if you read Leviticus you're going to see there's this big clear distinction between clean animals and unclean animals there's all these dietary laws about what's kosher and what's not kosher to separate to set the Jews and the Gentiles apart but now they're all mixed up on this big sheet that's being lowered from heaven and Peter's out of his comfort zone immediately and then this voice speaks it gets worse because the voice says up Peter kill and eat and and that's very hard for him to swallow pun intended no Lord Peter declared that's what you call a contradiction in terms we've already seen this so far you can't say no Lord it's yes Lord or nothing as we said a couple of weeks ago He's Lord of all or not at all. But all the time, Peter's followed Jesus. He has this very bad habit, and we get it too sometimes, of saying, no, Lord. And it led to failure every single time. Peter, proud of his religion, says, I've never eaten that kind of stuff. I'm not about to start now. What a good, strong, religious Jewish person he is. Hmm. The vision's repeated three times. The voice speaks again over and over. So he'll get it. And I love how the message puts it. This is what it says at the end. If God says it's okay, it's okay. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three times. How many times did Jesus ask, do you love me when he restored him? Three times. How many times does the voice speak? Three times. While Peter's trying to figure it out, if God says it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Knock at the door. Three guys. Divine timing. It's perfect as the Holy Spirit again speaks to Peter. Get up and go with them. Doubting nothing for I've sent them. Get up and go. You know what this is? This is Peter's Nineveh moment. Get up and go. Just pause a moment and think. Where's Peter? Have you noticed? He's at a seaside town, a port city called Joppa. Does that ring any bells? It should. If you've been listening at all the last few weeks, it's the same place that Jonah said no. The same place where Jonah, in his disobedience, got on a boat going the other way. 
when he was told, get up and go to Nineveh, he went instead to Tarshish. Jonah went from Joppa, the opposite way, because of his pride, because of his nationalism, because he hated those non-Jewish idol worshippers. Now Peter's in the same place, and God's about to give a second chance. See, God's mercy can redeem anyone. God's mercy can redeem everything. God's mercy can redeem everywhere. He can even redeem places, not just people. And 700 years after Jonah, Peter's been called from Joppa to go north and deliver the message of salvation through Jesus Christ for the first time to a Gentile. He's going to have to travel and then he's going to have to go into a place that no good Jew should go to walk in and talk to people that no good Jew should talk to. If he goes, the gospel goes with him. The key of the kingdom is open for you and me to be able to enter. What qualified Peter? Why did God choose him for this most important job? It was not his success record. It was his failures. He'd failed, but he kept moving forward every time. Why did Peter fail? Recap. Same reason you and I do. He overestimated his strength, but now he's so broken. He knows, I'm not going to rely on my own strength. I know how weak I am. He's not likely to forget it. Peter failed because he overvalued what people thought and said. And there would be an ongoing struggle with that for Peter. We see it later on in his life. But in order for him to be able to cross Cornelius' doorstep, if you read on, you see he did get over it. And he got in trouble for doing it too. But the most common cause of Peter's failure, and again, it's mine too, was that he overspoke and he underlistened. He said, no, Lord. He thought he knew best. He thought he knew better than God. And then this picture comes, and it's not just animals. It's symbolic. It's all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, people of every ethnicity, all kinds of nations, what heaven's going to be like. He gets to see it. And instead of saying no again, he's so broken, he's so restored, Now he's ready to go when God says, get up and go. That's what happens has to happen with you and me too. And so he says, Lord, if you say it's okay, it's okay. And so he goes. And the rest, as they say, is church history. God had mercy on Peter. God had mercy on Cornelius and his whole household when he heard about Jesus. Before Peter had finished even talking, they were all saved and baptised in the Holy Spirit. It was Pentecost all over again in the house. God had mercy on Joppa. It became the launching place. Instead of Jonas's, Jonah's disobedience, it becomes known for Peter's obedience to go and bring the gospel to every nation. God will have mercy on you and on me today when we pray. It's going to be okay. Why don't you pray this prayer if you'll agree with it. It's good at the time of confession to confess our sins. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I admit it. I own up. I have failed. I have messed up. I've done it so many times in so many ways in my life. Like Peter, I've done it because I've overestimated my strength. Maybe I've done it because I've feared the disapproval of others. So many times I've spoken without thinking. And I'm powerless to change that by myself or any of it. 
not strong enough for that. But Lord, that's why I need a saviour. I don't get saved by being good, by being religious. I only get saved by your mercy and your grace. Please come and reign over me, Lord Jesus. You might feel like you don't need a saviour as you're watching this. Listen, you are above all men most to be pitied if that's where you are. If you don't realise how much you need a saviour because you don't know how blind you are. You don't know how sick you are. You might think you don't deserve mercy. That might be your problem. The opposite. That means you got it. You qualify. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you that we're not just in a year of mercy, but now we can live a life of mercy and celebrate it in worship. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.